Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors in physical therapy, discuss the art and science that to the stuff that we're putting on our feet, as well as talking about rehabilitation, running, injury, and whatever else you guys want to discuss with us. Uh, so we are here today. David, we're actually going to talk to him first. He had a 21-miler today, and he, it was a tempo. Part of it was a tempo, so you can tell you a little bit more about it. But you took out the Bondi X which you've been putting through the paces. We have two reviewers on that review already, and DJ's going to add his thoughts. But tell us about that 21-miler today. Yeah, so I mean, it, there wasn't any like specific tempo regions in the in the workout. It was just a steady 625 to 635 uh, with hills. So that was, that was the plan for today. Just chilling, you know. And uh, <laughs> we got out on the run. <laughs> And I literally like turned to my training partners and my friends and I'm just like, guys, I made a horrible mistake. <laughs> I how, really like the Bondi X. How, I mean, far I in, had, like, how far in was that when you knew you made the mistake? Two. Ooh. I had 19 more to go, fam. A little over that. Wow. What, and, what was um, it about it that just like, because how, okay, just, effort wise also, like where does six, what does that pace sit for you from an effort perspective? I mean, normally it's pretty smooth. Like a lot of the long runs we do, if we're just trying to not be relaxed and hanging out, like if it's like an easy long run, we're usually going like 655 to maybe like seven low. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit up tempo. Like you have to put a little bit of effort into it, but it's a, it's a cruise, you know, it shouldn't be crazy. It's a steady like state, did, but slower than your marathon pace. Way slower. I mean, like, right. like. I mean, we'll do a 10 mile tempo run at like 530 something or five, you know, like, yeah, we did. I did a 10 mile at 535 not that long ago. And like, so 620 is definitely backing off. It's not really a big workout day. I did a workout yesterday. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, part of it might just be some fatigue from the legs yesterday. I ran right. sub 20 in the four mile yesterday. So it's like going from a workout to the the steady long run or the, the slide up tempo, like, it just it was not agreeing with me today, and it, I've tend to use it more as a recovery shoe, anyways. Yeah. Um, kind of on my easy days, and just using that rocker to just kind of roll through, and I not a care in the world on the pace. Yep. And usually it feels pretty good around that like seven ish pace for me, that seven to eight minute range on my like easy recovery days. I really take them easy. Yep. And um, yeah, today I just it was not having it, especially with the hills. Like running in the 620s, 630s, like through hills and stuff. That was, that was rough. Wow. It was, so it was just heavy. It was just, it was just a lot of shoe to move. The the turnover, there wasn't very much uh, responsiveness in the forefoot. So right. I was, I was having a little bit of a rough time there, but we got through it. Uh, just finished up a nap not too long ago. So Solid. <laughs> <laughs> well, today's episode is not sponsored by Good Earth Teas. This is the Sweet and Spicy by Good Earth. Um, again, not a sponsor, but I do enjoy that tea a lot. If you've had like big red gum, you know, like the kind of cinnamon, 
um, gum that like makes your mouth water a lot. It's got hints of that and it's phenomenal. It's really, really enjoyable. Probably the most enjoyable tea I've had. So that's what I'm having tonight. But that's not important. We're going to jump into our quick tip section of the podcast. Um, and this, the question from quick tips this week are talking about recovery. So for you guys, when it comes to after a big race, either long or short, what are your favorite recovery recovery habits or exercises that you like to jump to? Yeah, I, I don't do too many exercises per se, if I'm being honest, unless something's bugging me or something's really sore. Um, I just take the time to recover, take a little bit of downtime. I usually do run the next day. Um, I probably won't after the marathon, but after a half, I'll do like a real light shakeout just to quite literally shake the legs out and kind of flood some of that um, or wash some of that soreness away. And some just gentle motion, just keep yourself moving within reason, but you don't want to, you don't want to do too much. You just did a giant effort the day before. So that's usually what I tend to do and just try to eat a lot, recover well, get that, get the fluids back in, get the electrolytes back in vitamins, all that good stuff. Yeah. Matt, what about you? I, I totally agree with all of that. I think one of the things, depending on who you are, I mean, for most people, I think a walk later can be helpful just to <laughs> shake the legs out just a little bit. It also, again, mo motion is lotion. Obviously, you don't want to overdo it. Don't go for some huge run. Uh, depending on the race distance, I can occasionally go for like a short like mile or two jog later. And it's not anything lightning speed. It's just literally getting some blood flow going. Honestly, the, the biggest thing is nutrition. I think as soon as possible after finishing, as David said, like be really specific with, you know, getting a good balance of carbohydrate and protein in right as soon as possible. And then getting a meal in within an hour or so is really important. And then fueling throughout the rest of the day is really important. Um, and I notice my fueling strategies will, will totally determine how I feel the next day. Obviously, you're going to be sore. And then finally, sleep. Um, a nap is probably one of the most powerful things, although I guarantee you that day, if you take a nap that day of the race, you'll wake up and probably feel terrible, but sleep is the best thing you can do for recovery. Um, there's some really cool hormonal things that we're learning that, that get released in terms of, um, recovery stuff. And so a, a nap, if you can, is awesome. It doesn't have to be super long, even like 20, 30 minutes can be powerful. So sleeping, taking a nap is probably my favorite if I have time. I don't usually have time right now, but it's the thing I always dream, daydream about. Yeah. What, so what would you guys say to people um, if they're running a marathon? Like how much time do you recommend taking off after like a, a, a max effort marathon? Um, whether I'm going to let Matt take that one. I haven't done my first competitive marathon yet. So right. I'm going to cross that bridge when it comes. Yep. It's going to be very dependent on who you are. There are some people that it's going to take them weeks and they need that to recover from the, the amount of effort. Other people recover really fast. I've been lucky that I've been able to get back running within a couple of days. Obviously it's not fast and I can't do anything fast for a while, but I try to get moving, whether it's walking pretty much as soon as possible. So within a couple of days I'm back, but other people I suggest take some time, let your body recover, but stay active, cross train, do something else. But also know, so I, yeah, how, how soon you can get back is going to depend on you. I'd really encourage you to be very, very careful about how quick you get back to anything speed related. 
Um, we know that it can take up to three months, if not longer, to truly recover from a competitive marathon effort and competitive just going to depend on that person. So running is one thing. Another competition and speed or up-tempo stuff is a totally different thing. So mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, for your recreational runner, I would take a week or so, a week or two of cross training or walking and then ease your way back into running. Because again, that is something you do not want to try to bounce back really fast from. Give your body some time. Definitely. And definitely don't be one Anecdotally. of those people who like schedules another rate, like another 5K or 10K a week out. Don't do that. That's, that's how you end up seeing us. That's also how you become Emma Bates, though. That's, you know, that's true. <laughs> Although I would encourage people not to do what the elites do. That's a very different situation. Yeah, they're different. They're different. For sure. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just coming off my, I'm still in kind of a little bit of recovery, I feel like for me. And I, you know, in, in processing this and Matt, you talked about how long it can take. Uh, like even up to three months for the body to fully recover. I think that keeping in mind that, especially for new marathoners, um, which would include myself, you know, coming off of a marathon healthy doesn't mean you're out of the woods yet. You know, your mileage in the pounding for like stress related injuries, like stress fractures, that's all still there. And so just continuing to push is probably not in your best interest. I took a, a strict two weeks off after mine um, and even when I got back, I could still feel like I was kind of slogging along. And so I'm like Matt said, it can take a long time for some people to recover. And I'm in that realm. Some things that I've loved doing in the meantime, you guys hit a bunch of them. Um, I think in addition to what you've said, I and actually not running for two weeks allows you to sleep more, you know, because you have time. Sleep's huge. <laughs> so that's kind of nice. But I've also just like loved some like soft tissue work like i usually am not a huge foam roll guy but i've loved the foam roller during my recovery these two last two weeks um and then the th like we have a theragun at our clinic and that's just just felt really good who knows what it's doing you know the the evidence for that kind of thing is not really there but it felt it feels nice it just feels like oh my calf's a little whatever today so just hit the calf and it just feels just flushing it with with activity that's not pounding because that's kind of what that vibration does is going to promote vibration, which is heat and then blood flow and all that kind of stuff. So um, stuff like that's been nice. And then I've also done like really, really after like the first week, I started doing like foundation exercises again. So not like not even like squats or anything, but like no weight clamshells, like just to activate like small muscles that I felt like I may have been neglecting by the end of my training because I was just so fatigued that I was just compensating all over the place. Like going back and hitting like really light foundational exercises in that second week, um, no band resistance, no weight, anything like that, but just looking at those small muscles and, and form and control. So I, I've enjoyed that part too, because it made me feel like I was being productive in the midst of not running. It felt like, okay, I'm working towards when I can come back um, and then this has been my first week back running. It's been nice. So, um, kind of weird when you take any downtime, you feel unproductive, right? Like, is, isn't that strange? Even though like, or I, go ahead. Yeah, I think Sorry. it's a great idea to, you know, and Nathan mentioned this a great idea. If you are taking some downtime, like use that time as, as David said, it can feel like you're not doing anything, 
but use that time to start putting some building blocks in there, whether it's some, you know, revisiting some foundational exercises or doing some gentle drills or stretching out a little bit, getting some mobility work. There's always things to be done. So, you know, there's, you can make use of that time when your, your body is and, recovering. And there's more to life than running. Yeah. And totally. so like, I don't believe that. Go, go be, <laughs> go be a, go be a human yeah. with, with people that you love and stuff, other stuff you love to do. Like, take extra time and like use it well with the people that you get to be with. So, um, but that's not so much doctors yeah. running related, even though it is, we talk to people it, about all that stuff. It, the, the psychology so. behind letting your brain also recover and please, please, please remember you're, you're pounding your body, your body's going to recover, but you cannot forget your brain also needs to recover as well. Those are two integrated, but separate entities that both need their recovery time. So you know, if you're feeling burned out on running, it might be time to like either switch things up or you might need a break. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Totally is. Cool. Well, I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on kind of what you like to do when you're recovering. There's a lot more we can dive into this topic. So if people have questions about recovery that you want us to dive into from a little bit more of a research basis, um, you could drop those to us either on Instagram, uh, through Messenger, go on Facebook, our email, doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. Just reach out to us. Love to talk about it. But now we're going to actually do a team review of a shoe. And today is kind of a fun one. It's in the super shoe realm. We're going to be talking about the Adidas Adi Zero Adios Pro 2. Adidas Adi Zero Adios Pro 2. As David holds up the Alpha Fly. <laughs> that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Adios Pro 2. Um, this is a, a unique offering and we're going to talk about why that is but before we dive into talking about the shoe and our experience matt do you want to give us the specs for this shoe yeah so we'll talk about we're talking about version two specifically so for men's size nine it's and it's unisex sizing by the way so there's an it's eight point ounces for men's size nine um my size 10 came in at eight and a half ounces and then the stack height well, yeah Man, what did you, you said 8 point ounces. 8 point, oh, <laughs> 8 ounces, sorry. 8 <laughs> ounces uh, for men's size 9. Um, the stack height is 39, is it 39 point, 39, uh, 39 millimeters in the heel and 30.5 millimeters in the forefoot. So 8.5 millimeter drop. How specific that is, right, it could vary a little bit depending on how you're loading and some other mechanical stuff. But yeah, and this is a classic carbon you know, carbon rotted in this case, carbon infused rotted super shoe in terms of its classification. Awesome. We're going to dive into more of the specifics of the midsole and kind of its construction later. But first, let's just talk about fit. Um, this uses that kind of like that updated cellar mesh type upper. Um, tell, tell me about what you guys experienced with fit with this guy. I think overall, it's pretty good. The shoe does seem to run a little bit on the long side for me. Um, I think you could justify a half size down. I think you could do that with a lot of the Adidas performance models. Uh, however, they do their last and their upper, like with the cellar mesh, they always seem to run a little bit on the long side for me when they're true to size. Um, I think it locks down relatively well, though. I had no problems in the midfoot. There's plenty of space in the forefoot. For me, the heel collar did have a little bit of instability in here, not, not, or just, just translation. So if you notice, I switch it up to the last eyelet instead of that one to just try and like really pull it a little bit more and just make sure my heel is on the platform. 
Which way um, was your heel going? Oof, that's a good question. Because I haven't actually run in this shoe in a little bit. I've run in it plenty. It's just was it, or it was it more when you were moving specific? or just standing? Both. Okay. Walking slash running, I guess yep. more more in motion, but um, I would notice that it would kind of just shift a little bit. So I would have to just lace it down really tight, and I would feel the same thing a little bit just underneath the tongue, like right in here. Like I'd almost have a little bit of movement there, as if maybe there's a little too much volume going in the vertical direction in that region. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but um, I did find I had to lock it down a little bit. Other than that though, the cellar mesh upper is pretty solid. It's, it's, I mean, it's translucent. It's like almost non-existent. This thing is pretty darn light on the upper. Yeah, it is. Minimal overlay, minimal overlays. And it's overall, it's pretty dang good. For me, it's just kind of the heel stuff. Um, and I have heard that from a couple of other people as well. Yeah, I'll I'll build off of yours, David, because I think we had some similar experiences. I would say of some of the the you know super shoe marathon racing options, this is a roomier option. Also, I have the sweetest colorway, this like blue green one. I just think it's I think it's fire. But um, but yeah, I think that there's some some real roominess in it, and I had to use the last eyelet as well to really lock it in because I felt like my foot would actually like be it was kind of pushed out laterally that's why i asked you specifically david i didn't know if you had the exact same yeah. as me but like i felt like my foot was and kind it of probably like... was I, I i just i can't recall at this point it's been a few weeks right maybe even more so i don't know i think that was one of those things where it just felt like i was moving that way so i really had to lace down to feel secure we'll talk about stability more later and why it's kind of a unique shoe in that realm too but um yeah, the, the tongue is really thin and I liked there's like minimal areas of padding just to like protect your the top of your foot from the laces. And I thought that was effective. And um, I felt pretty locked in in the heel. But I agree with with David that you could probably get away if you're if you're a tweener and going down would probably be what I would choose when going with this shoe um, just from a fit perspective. What about you, Matt? Um, I had a similar experience where fit while it was really good i did this is one of the rare cases i had to really lock the laces down in the midfoot especially like there's there's lots of room in the forefoot the midfoot has a good amount of room but the laces respond really really well here so i have cinched that down but i also when i'm doing workouts of light like a little more snug fit in the midfoot um not on my right side on my left side i got a little bit of heel slippage so on both i lace locked um the the laces at the very last eyelet and that that solved the problem but i agree that it fits for me it's i've had a different experience with some other adidas shoes but this one is when i personally stayed true to size in and i think there is a teeny bit more room but i found that over longer workouts i've really appreciated that um and it accommodates swelling well but this upper i mean i i love this it's a little crinkly on foot when you first put it on but then as as your the long mileage, I really forget this is here. So lace locking it is definitely suggested. There is a little bit more volume than I think some people might expect. But I just yeah. like, again, there is a teeny heel counter back here. But for the most part, there's not really much of one. So I do really well in this, this uh, type of upper. Sweet. Yeah, and I think maybe hopefully for clarity's sake, I think all of us would say, like, if you had to choose, this is true to size. But if yeah. you were like really wanting something more snug, like really snug and locked down, 
you might get away with half size down, but we'd all say this is a true to size yeah. kind of racer that you got here. So this shoe has some pretty unique aspects to it. So I'm going to dive into those and we're going to talk about how they affect ride and stability. And so some of those include, first, let's just talk about the midsole, I guess. So it's Lightstrike Pro midsole, which they haven't really talked much or released what that really is. Um, but then, you know, you look at your geometry, you have a very heavy lateral posterior lateral bevel. You have a full cutout of part of the midfoot, not the entire thing, but just on the inside or medial side of the midfoot, you have kind of a classic toe spring that you're seeing in these plated shoes. And then instead of a full carbon plate, you have carbon infused rods um, that, that span from the heel uh, up to the forefoot in the heel, you have the carbon plate that sits back there. And so, you know, between, you know, this cutout, the rods, kind of the very heavy lateral bias of this shoe. Um, talk about how that and the foam itself kind of interact to create this ride. Yeah, I mean, unique is definitely a word for it. Um, that posterior lateral bevel is pretty sharp. So if you're really sensitive to those, um, this may not be the shoe for you, but... I will say that completely changes dynamically as well. Everything about this shoe is geared toward motion. And so, uh, I mean, you can take it away if you want to. It's no, go it. running specifically walking in this shoe feels very awkward. So this is not a, this is not a walking shoe. This is running. So though, when you're walking around the first time, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so unstable. This doesn't feel good. And then as soon as you start running, that will change. So be patient. But yeah, that lateral bevel for anybody that's either like that has any stability issues that go this way, this is a no, no. For those of you like me that have some like issues with like controlling pronation, a little bit more medial motion, this actually with there's a plate in the rear foot kind of almost acts like an orthotic back here. So I actually at speed, it's it's very it's stable for me. Right. So it resists my motion going that way. So it actually works very well for my mechanics, but it may not work well for a lot of people that need general stability back here. Yeah, I would I would kind of just piggybacking off of that a little bit. I think when I was standing in this shoe for the first time, especially on my left foot, um, I have some minor differences there. But on my left foot, I almost felt like I was just going to fall off the platform. Like it just felt like I was my foot was going to slide off. I actually wish wished and actually still do wish that they just put like a sidewall on the on the lateral side of the shoe. I think that would just make me feel less scared that I was going to fall off. I was thinking about people with very high arches and kind of more rigid supinated feet. Um, I don't think that this is, would be the best option for you. If you're someone in that category and have loved the shoe, you should tell me about it and why, because I would love to hear that. But um, just thinking about kind of the position of, of feet and if you're rigid in that position, it's already biased that way and that you're already biased that way. And so I, I would could see where that matchup might not be the best from if you're just going to be buying online and just taking a shot in the dark, maybe this wouldn't be the one to take a shot in the dark with if you're in that category. Um, but I agree with Matt. Once I got running in this shoe, kind of that feeling of falling off went away, even on turning, which I was thankful for. Um, but I, I still was like conscious of the fact that like my peroneals, which are the muscles on the outside of the the shin, that they were kind of trying to like really stir up my foot and, and make sure I wasn't going laterally. And so I think just with the way my foot 
works and kind of how I run through the cycle a little bit more on the outside in general, it didn't work as well for me as some of the other options. Um, I still have more distance that I want to put on these, but that was kind of like some of those, um, the runs I've had so far. I just, I felt the lateral bias. It went away as I started running, felt even better as I went like faster, like casual pace didn't go great, but way when I dropped, when I dropped like half marathon pace and below, I felt good in them and they're, they're really enjoyable to run in at that point. Another, ex- yeah. And I, th- another example of a shoe, I know I said, this is not meant for walking. It's also really not meant for jogging. It's, this is meant for picking up the pace. I think David, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's important to remember that this is a speed day shoe. Everything about this is geared toward quick and fast transitions and making sure that you can get up and onto that forefoot pop off and reset. And so that bevel is really sharp, but when you're running faster, you kind of transition off it a little quicker anyways, and your load tends to shift a little bit more anteriorly and you start to snap off that forefoot a little harder and a little quicker and snappier. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's also interesting to note too, that the, there's a posterior lateral bevel and a medial cutout. Yes. I was and just going so to bring think, up the medial cutout. This is great. Keep going. Yeah. You would think that that would almost make you collapse inwards even faster and make this thing really unstable, but it actually doesn't really do that. You you transition really fast onto that midfoot, and then on the right over here on the cutout, there's even a little bit of outsole, and you almost have like a grabby sensation right there, and it almost like stops you in your tracks, puts you back onto that platform, and then it's up to you to just kind of push off and spring off the forefoot. So. When the pace picks up, it actually feels quite nice. I mean, it's a pretty fast transition through that region. You get up onto your forefoot, and then you're like, whoa, okay. Like, I'm moving. This this feels good. And especially, like, half marathon, marathon pace, if you're, if you're going max on those paces, I mean, it feels quite nice at those paces. Um, totally. Even, like, 5K-ish paces, it still does quite well. I mean... If you look at all the Adidas athletes, I mean, they're paid to, but they're running road miles in this still. They're choosing this yeah. over the Takumi Sen. But now that might change because there's the new Takumi Sen. Which I want to test that. Yeah, that that might change. But, um, I mean, half marathon to marathon, this certainly is going to be a great option. Um, it's just got a couple of biases in there that might not make it work for certain people. But, yeah, everything about it is fast, including the transitions on this shoe. Yeah. So, I think the medial cutout, like we've been seeing that in other places um, from like development standpoints. And I, and I think that there's been considerations in my head about what that's going to do to the runner as you try to transition over a midfoot with a cutout. And I I think one of the things that we can hypothesize that's going to be pretty surefire is that when you take away surface area from uh, the bottom of the foot, you're going to have higher pressures in the areas that the foot does contact the ground. Um, but what I think that this shoe does well is that because of the medial cutout that it has, but the lateral bias that David talks about, like it kind of helps you avoid the potential of, tr- of kind of like skipping over that as much because it kind of guides you along kind of the lateral part. And then you, then you transition into the kind of big toe after that. So you, you it, I don't know, that lateral bias and the lateral positioning of this entire shoe and even 
the way that the the lateral side you can there's kind of this um, indent on the outside of the shoe and you can even see where kind of the rods are within that that compresses a little bit easier so everything about this shoe just kind of like drives you slightly laterally through the midfoot and avoids that cutout and so they have the cutout it saves some weight and it also is guided for you by the way that it's biased laterally with uh, with that bevel, but also, like I said, I think the compression where that for the people who are watching the compression here, where they're where, where it's kind of cut out on the lateral side, um, allows it to compress a little bit easier, and path of least resistance will be along the outside, kind of the bridge from the heel to the forefoot. Matt, anything else you've thought about with the with the cutout? Yeah, I when I first saw this shoe, I was terrified, and I was like, this this cutout is not gonna work. And I think because the what you guys have talked about with the way that if you do heel strike, this is going to really guide you laterally. Um, the rods also stiffen up the midfoot a lot. So I've actually never yeah. noticed the cutout. The only time I think you might notice this if you're running on trail, which I highly encourage you not to do. Um, I have taken some other shoes, uh, super shoes on trails. This is not one of them with the cutout. But I think even the way this is designed here, yeah, that one. Um, I think because this, if this was cut out like this, this might be a very different story, but the fact that this comes down, I think that design, you get over this so quickly, you can take this out. And I didn't notice it. Um, I think Nathan brought up a great point with the way this compresses on this side is that I think people who land, um, a little, anybody who's a midfoot or forefoot striker, this actually might work really, really well. Um, Wait, you have that color. You have that color too. Speaking of people that didn't like this shoe because it was too biasing them, I got this for eighty dollars on eBay. So I have both colors. Oh my ways. gosh! I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. I thought you had the other color. So now Matt has both. Yes, colors. I wasn't gonna. I didn't tell either of them that I also Nathan have. Doesn't feel as special. Yeah, sorry, Nathan. Oh, I was man. on eBay. I'm always looking for size <laughs> nine and a half and nine because Nathan, David, and Bach are size nine or nine and a half. So I'm always looking for extra stuff for them. And I found this, somebody was selling it for like 80 bucks and it was mislabeled as a 99 and a half. And I was looking at the photos. I'm like, oh, that's a size 10. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I can't pass <laughs> this up. And so uh, thank you to whoever that was. Um, but if you ever see some weirdo on eBay trying to buy your stuff, if you have a size 10, that's probably me. It's probably me. Yeah. So just, but, an, just an eBay, eBay scoundrel. Just I, like, I am just digging for stuff all yeah, day long. I love it. Well, um, let's, let's I talk think, about one oh go for you it you want to say one more thing the, the, say, let's transition to <laughs> let's transition to that was that's good let's let's move oh, wait on. there's more yeah. let, let, let's, let's transition on. to we're the... gonna we're gonna talk about two more things um the first one is you know we just interviewed um dustin last week he's been doing the uh running economy testing he is gonna be he's working on publishing a larger study. And then he also is doing a lot of case studies, posting stuff on lab rat rundown on Instagram. And he did kind of a case study where he, in the same day, he tested the Adios pro two, the Vaporfly, and the alpha fly, um, Vaporfly next percent two and the alpha and the alpha fly. And he's been kind of posting his results, kind of looking at, uh, how it works for him, you know, in this case, uh, Oh, I had it pulled up and it's gone now, but, here we go. I got it. So in this case, you know, he had a 1% running economy in, compared to control. He had a 1% running economy improvement with the Audios Pro 2. He had a 2.3% improvement with the Vaporfly 2. 
an extra percent too, and then a 3% improvement with the alpha fly. And I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on, you know, he's doing a lot of good work and he's, you know, crowd fundraising to be able to do some research with women specific stuff and with more kind of recreational paces, which is really fun for us all to learn. He's also posting some of his data um, from case studies. How do you guys interpret that? And how do you kind of think we as just people watching his really cool stuff, how should we absorb his information? I'd like, I'd like to first shout out the, uh, the podcast YouTube video we did with him that I did with him last week, um, which was really informative. I encourage you to, to look at that. Um, I think there's some awesome, it's nice to actually have some numbers on that. Albeit the only limit, the limitation is it's with one person. So we know that different people are going to respond to different things. So he's responding really well to the alpha fly and the vapor fly, right? That's, that's him. We know that those, the zoom X foam tends to respond really, really well. Um, those PBAX foams, the foam, the plate, the geometry, there's a lot of factors that go in. So I'd encourage people to take that data and then also look at themselves and go, am I like Dustin or do I have different mechanics? And the goal here should be, this is good data, but I also need to figure out how to optimize it for me or somebody else. And so until we would, you know, we got to get a large group of subjects, which is really hard to do. Again, listen to the, the, the interview I did with him. And it was not easy to get and people were some of the subjects that he had for the their large original study with like 12 people, which is not large. Right. But it's great for this. People were driving large like in this case. Yeah. yeah, they're driving like an hour and a half, two hours for the test. So, you know, it's awesome data to have. You just have to start, go. Does this apply to me? Are my mechanics similar? Am I the same population? So that's how you go. It's no different than reading a research study and going, you know, I'm reading this study because of either me or somebody else does the the subject population they're testing this on, is that me or not? Yeah. And I think, I think something else to consider is he's looking at running economy as his main outcome measure, you know, and that's not the only important factor for most of us running marathons. Yes. Do we all want to run faster? Totally. Are we kind of seeing that shoes can play a factor? It seems like that's the case. Um, so, you know, just having a shoe that makes you run faster doesn't mean it's going to keep you healthy. And so when and how you use shoes can be more gray than just looking at a case study and saying, Hey, that one's faster for sure. So I'm just going to go with that one. So don't just think running economy, although that's a really fun part of running. Um, and we, you know, we love seeing the progression that he's bringing us through with some of this stuff, but just, it's okay to get the shoe. That's not the fastest one. That's totally fine because being healthy and enjoying what you run in and liking the feel of it and just having a good time. That's a whole other part of the, the equation. Um, the other thing, Matt, you were talking about was like, do my mechanics work? And I think that's one of the questions I have. Um, and I actually wanted to ask him a little bit more about is just what kind of, and maybe, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but just looking at what kind of biometric data, kinematic, kinetic data do we have and what can we actually pair yet with running economy changes? and shoe matching. So I think those things aren't known. So it is just hard unless you have a cart to test this stuff, you know, and test yourself on each of these shoes and the money to buy all of them. It's, it's a little bit of a crapshoot right now. You know, I think his bigger study helps a little bit uh, for generalizations, but anyway, David, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. A lot of what you guys said, I mean, anytime there's a research 
study like this, especially one that's as novel as this? I mean, there hasn't really been any that have taken these shoes, put it across the platform, and then tried to directly compare them apples to apples. You have to kind of take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. And with running economy specifically, and he's talked about this multiple times, it is sub-maximal what we're looking at, this data. Yep. And he's looking purely at an aerobic metric, but there's so much other things that go into performance and not just running economy. And I think that's something that's really important for the consumer to take away from this. And yes, I mean, this is a lot of times you hear the phrase research is me search. Someone's going to go and study something that's really interesting and important to them. And in a lot of this, it's kind of his search for the shoe that works the best for him. And for him, he's an alpha fly responder. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. The, like, that's just the shoe that seems to work the best for him. But there's so much different components, such as ground contact time, forefoot pressures, the transitions we were talking about earlier, like something on like an Audios Pro 2 or even just weight in general, because the Alpha Fly is heavier than all of the other shoes, except for the Audios Pro 2, and they're about the same. And so in theory, the lighter shoe is going to be a little bit harder to, or a little bit easier to lift and won't cost as much energy at a sub-maximal workload. And so you kind of see a little bit of a bias in running economy that way as well, especially if you take it in a snapshot. But multiply that over 13 miles, multiply that over 21 miles. We have a much different picture. And so, so much of this is going to be comfort driven. And I would just encourage the consumer. It is data and it's out there and it's something I think worth looking at and talking about. Yep. But please, please try the shoes on, give them a shot. Because just because it says it's 4.2%, if you even look on his data, it was 3.1% one day. It was like, you're going to have variance even on the same exact pair on the same exact person, depending on the day. That's been a fascinating so, part too. You're right. His, his yeah, variability. So, yep. Yeah. And so what? depending on the day, yeah. th these things can change. And so find the shoe that works for you, that you're comfortable being in. And if it feels good for you running fast, then just wear that shoe. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you like that shoe more than the other shoe, go with the one you like. Yep. Speaking of comparisons here, let's let's talk about comparing the Audios Pro 2 to some of the kind of other shoes that people might consider. Alpha Fly, Vaporfly, um, I think that, yeah, Hoka, Metaspeed Sky, and Endorphin Pro 2 Plus. So, yeah, what do you guys got? How do you compare it in terms of maybe like softness, bounciness, kind of... How how would you where, what would you compare it closest to? Where does it deviate the most? That kind of thing. Oh, hold them up. So many. Inter so I'm many. Gonna, that's a good question. What does it compare most? Because I feel like this is one of the each one is so unique. Like the Audios Pro Two to me is such a unique shoe already. Where again, for me personally, when I'm at speed, it's one of the more stable ones for my mechanics just because of the lateral bevel and it's kind of the, the super, the forefoot is super stable. There's a ton of outsole flare here. So it works very well for me. It's not necessarily the fastest one for me. Like I think for me, the, the Metaspeed Sky kind of wins on that. And these guys make fun of me for taking this on everything imaginable trail, et cetera. But it's just got such an interesting, aggressive um, ride that it's hard to really compare this. Um, it's, 
yeah, that's David. What do you think in terms of like finding something similar? I think, yeah, f- for me, I I think I have to look beyond the ride because they all have a, a unique aspect to their ride. But I, I look at it in terms of midsole, durometer, how much decompression you feel versus the responsiveness you get out. And this is in no particular order, but when I was holding up the shoes just now, this is kind of, as far as quote unquote bounciness goes, yes, this is I would my agree. spectrum. Yeah. So the least bouncy being the Endorphin Pro Plus, then the Audios Pro 2, then the Metaspeed Sky, then the Alpha Fly. And these ones are pretty comparable, to be honest. Like Flight Foam Turbo and Zoom X are actually pretty similar mm-hmm. on foot for me. How about compared to um, this one? And oh man, that uh, one I don't find very bouncy. It's right. just soft. RC Elite too. I, I agree. So we're holding RC Elite too. Yeah. It's, it's the, the softest one, not necessarily bounciest, but again, different. So anyway, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I, David, but I would say just in terms of durometer, like. Lightstrike Pro is interesting in the fact that there certainly is a softness and a bounciness to it, but it doesn't quite deform as much as Flight, Fo- Flight Foam Turbo Blast. or Zoom X. Yeah. That you are, no, Turbo. Turbo. Yeah. Turbo Blast? No, no Blast. No, it's Turbo. Oh, I've been writing that wrong. Dang it. Check your facts, son. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It is Turbo. Dang <laughs> just it. Just kidding. <laughs> but, um,. It's it's got a little bit of bounce back, but but not nearly as much as these. These feel like you're getting pushed. Yeah. yeah. Like this one, you don't get that in this shoe. You definitely get a little bit of a, a softness and a little bit of a bounce. And so if you're a little bit sensitive to that pushy feeling, but you like some forgiveness in the shoe and you still want a little bit of snappiness, it could be a good option. Whereas the Endorphin Pro Plus, there's not quite as much of that decompression. It's pretty much all that speed roll. Right. Which is great for some things and not so great for others for me personally and i really like this shoe and but it, it's got its it's got its place in the rotation for me um but not nearly as much decompression a lot more on the plate and geometry on this shoe so yeah i i actually loved your order and just to to speak into preferences for me i have a harder time with like metaseed sky and some other ones closer to the alpha fly or even Vaporfly, that really you sink into that heel and kind of like trampoline off of it. I have a harder time. Like, I feel like I have to climb out more. And some people don't have that sensation. And that's where, like, that's why I chose the Endorphin Pro 2 for my marathon because I wasn't climbing out of anything because I wasn't sinking. And I would say that the Audios Pro 2, I was going to put it closer to the, not because of like, it's not as smooth, like rolling as the, uh, Endorphin Pro, but the Audios Pro 2 doesn't have as much of a sink. It has a, a bit of a bounce, more bounce for sure, and a more softer nature to it. Um, but you can really, you know, you don't sink as much into the heel, which was helpful for me. Um, and I think the, and people get mad at us for continuing to talk about this shoe, but Deviate Nitro Elite is like really soft and bouncy, but it also I de- forgot to add it into my spectrum. I ran out of fingers. And that, I, would so put I would put that. Under the Metaspeed, but over the Audios in that. Yep, and I agree. In that lineup, I'd say the difference in there is that the um, the Deviate Nitro Elite doesn't sink in the heel as much as like some of those other ones. It just has this. It's also very smooth, more of the most natural running one for me. But uh, for sure. Anyway, yeah, I, I would agree with you, David. I thought that order was really good. Cool. All right, last question on the Audios Pro 2. 
And that is just an observation we've been seeing among the elites. And so when you, you know, when we're seeing results of these major marathons or half marathons, we're seeing a number of elites. I haven't calculated the actual actual percentage, but uh, we've seen a number of them still wearing the Audios Pro version one and choosing that over version two. Also, before we go into this question, what is, <laughs> you guys always are just like, holding up shoes you know like i'm asking a question it's just like this shoe this shoe this shoe what what's going through your heads as you hold up random shoes i i can't speak to david i'm just trying to do the visual i know people that are listening to this have no idea what we're doing except probably some background noise but i don't know <laughs> well no but it's shoes that aren't even like okay related. I, I don't i don't <laughs> usually do that so that's all on david david got to explain that what's that what's that <laughs> Are you just trying to? No, just... I'm kidding. I, I was listening. I promise. <laughs> Actually, the rebellion probably has a place on that lineup for some. Yeah, but um, no. I mean, they've all been related. They're all carbon plated racing shoes. The mock you held up. And that, that was after he started bringing okay, that fine. up. Okay, so fair enough. To be fair, so you're holding up. I, I mean, a lot of times, I so what I do before the show, I have basically a few different shoes laid out on both sides of me. Yes. Uh, for the for the for the purpose of discussion. Got it. And so when we say those shoes in the spectrum, I had that ready to roll because I knew that question was going to come up at some point. Yes. And we don't we don't we didn't write this out. Like I just knew that at some point we're going to talk about softness or yeah, you know, responsiveness or something. Uh, I also just have a lot of shoes around me in general under my bed. So I didn't know this if is the goal my, was... my table is the bed. So I didn't know. like if you guys want to see a nice sock in your hurricane, I got one right here. So um, <laughs> just happened to see it. I didn't know if the goal was to distract me as I'm asking a question. I feel like that's part of it. No, there was every once in a while I'll try to troll you. But <laughs> me pulling this earlier, uh... me pulling this out was totally an attempt to distract and see how you'd react. I was waiting. <laughs> It's all, it all works. I don't think you noticed, but earlier for like about 20 seconds, I was copying your movements with the Audios Pro. <laughs> I did, not, like, yeah, I thought, I did yeah. not notice that. <laughs> all right, oh, back to the wow. question, but, right? So, yeah, why do you guys think we're seeing, and I haven't ran in version one, you guys have, at least in a, kind a of. pre-production model. Uh, kind of. It's a pre-production. Yeah. I, I do have anyway, to, a friend of mine let me try on his version. He had the Dream Mile um, colorway. Nathan, I know you haven't tried this. David, it felt felt totally the foam felt totally different. Um, it felt a little bit more similar to version two, but still not quite. So, Nathan, I think to answer your question, I think a lot of people still have them. I think the Audios Pro Two is still new enough that you know some athletes may not have the newest one. Um, and I think some people are still going to wear run well in it. The Audios Pro One and the Audios Pro Two are different shoes. The midsole, the geometry is very different. The foams, even though it is Lightstrike Pro, they feel different, whether it's pre-production or the actual production models. The foams feel different. So I think they're going to work differently for different people. Different people are going to do better in one versus the other. Um, I found version one to be a little bit heavier despite the measured weight. Um, so some people, if they want maybe a little bit more shoe, um, this one also felt more How stable is... to me um, compared to version, version two. One, version, version one. Yeah, more version stable. one. Just the way the setup, the lateral bevel is still there, but there's no cutouts. Okay. And yeah, just the, the upper, I like a little bit more on version one. This feels more trainer-esque. I will say, I 
you said you never felt the cutout. I did feel the cutout a little bit, especially when you're a little more fatigued. Yeah. So I'm also wondering if that more full contact feel, maybe some people prefer that yeah. over yeah. the cutout. I don't know. Hard to say. I don't, I don't think one's yeah. better than the other one. I think it comes back to that same thing we were just talking about referencing Dustin's study that, you know, Dust studies that some people are going to do a little bit better in one versus the other. <laughs> and whether it's personal comfort, who knows? I mean, even not too long ago before all of this stuff, there were lots of people sponsored by Adidas that were running in the Boston for marathons instead of the Adios. So I think it just depends on which one people feel more comfortable in and which one's going to get them through the full distance. Which one's faster is is a different question. Which one's going to get mm -hmm. you through the full dif distance is a, is a totally different topic. So I think some people might find one more comfortable than the other one. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think, I, I think it would be, it'd be curious. I'd be curious to run in the first version. I think that just some of the nature of having a little less bias to it with the cutout um, would be a very interesting change in how the shoe feels. And if it feels as much of kind of that lateral bias falling off, or if it doesn't as much, I, I'd be curious to run in it. Um, but I feel like they're, they're different enough that it's kind of akin to like people who like alpha fly and people who like vapor fly. And I'm curious kind of what direction, just because their elites are choosing the original version, if they'll decide to go a little bit of that route at Adidas where they'll have kind of two of these, you know, elite designed marathon racing shoes. A bit curious to see. David, do you have any thoughts on it? About just why, why two. people are choosing one. Maybe just that cut. Like, I don't know. I feel like the forefoot traction on this is actually pretty good and it's pretty wide and you get a nice, like kind of grippy pulley sensation. The only thing I can really think of is maybe when they're transitioning, like let's say someone's a little bit more in that forefoot and they don't really, this doesn't really matter a whole lot. They're pretty much here and forward anyways. And they might choose this one over the other one, whereas someone might be a little bit harsher on the heel and maybe they're a little sensitive to this region and they like the original because of more of a full contact type feel. I, I don't know. I mean, because I, I didn't run in the previous version, so I don't I can't compare apples to apples. Right. I can only speculate. Same. And who knows? It could just be upper lockdown. I really like Cellar Mesh uh, version one in the Addy Zero Pro, in the Takumi Sen 7, in the RC2. The original seller mesh, I actually like that seller mesh better than this seller mesh. Yeah. Would that be enough for me to choose the shoe over it? I don't know. I'd have to have it on my foot. But I mean, the that's, original seller mesh is nice. That's why I chose. Not that this isn't. That's but, why I chose the Endorphin Pro Two. Yeah. Over the Endorphin Pro Plus for my marathon it was the upper. So, ultimately. So. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe it could just even just be an upper because this is a change in upper too. It's a, yeah. it's a it's drastic. It's still seller mesh, but it's different. It's a drastic yeah. change. I, I, to be honest, I like the original seller mesh. Yeah. Do I have? I think I have my RC two around here. Let me I, see. I the upper was one of my favorite parts of the original. Where I love the fact that on the lateral side yeah. there were additional oh, eyelets, and you could actually I've messed with this a little bit. You can adjust the fitting almost any way you want. Um, yeah. and I, for patients, I do the that all the time. I, I, for the, for patients, I, I, they know, if they know me, if I've been working with them, I adjust lacing all the time. And so the original was really good. This upper is probably one of my mm -hmm. favorites. The other one is more aggressive. Version two is more aggressive. It, it hugs the cl foot closer. Um, if you lock it down, but yeah, there's just, it's, they're two different yeah. shoes and they're going to work 
better or worse for different people. I would say that too. The Cellar Mesh version one is a little bit more structured. It's almost got this little lattice that runs through the whole thing mm -hmm. with like, the, I don't know if it's like laser cut or what, but it's, it just kind of holds that upper in place. Whereas you can even see it. Like if I hold this shoe here, it stays and keeps its shape. And if I do this one, it kind of collapses on itself, just the weight of it. So I don't know if that small little difference would be enough to make someone choose V1 over V2. I don't know. Right. I'd have to have it on my foot to, to make that decision. But I, I, that could be another potential reason, just me speculating. Also, some of the colors of V1 are awesome. Maybe that's why. Dude, yeah. This doesn't help, but I've been hunting. Those, they got some sweet colorways. I've been hunting on eBay for size nine and nine and a half, and I keep getting outbid at the last second. <laughs> so I have tried multiple <laughs> times. So to any people well, out you... there who have outbid me, you guys suck. I'm trying to get my my <laughs> co-writers some original shoes here. That's hilarious. Awesome. Well, there's our, there's our team review, our video review on the Adios Pro 2. If you guys have any questions or anything we said was confusing... Uh, or just you want some clarity somewhere, uh, just drop those questions below on the YouTube video or, again, reach out to us on one of those platforms. We are now going to jump into our mailbag. We have a question from a longtime follower of ours who we appreciate a lot. Um, his name is Michael Lancaster. Um, and his question is one of those, you know, that we should always premise that we can't give medical advice prior to, um, prior to talking about this. We can't give medical advice. This isn't a substitute for that. We're going to take this question and broaden it a bit just because we um, we don't know him from a clinical evaluation standpoint. So anyway, his question is this. Uh, he, has a, he says, I have a sore big toe joint on one foot, but not the other. I'm able to run using stiff and rockered shoes. The Endorphin Pro works well for anything other than short, easy runs. But the toe isn't getting better. What stretches and exercises should I do to help it heal? I would prefer to run in a shoe like the Kinvara, which seems to allow his body to move the way he wants to, but it makes his big toe very sore. Thanks. So they're talking about the big toe. Um, Matt, you have your foot model for those who are watching. And the big toe um, joint, if you want to point to it, kind of he, he says he kind of lacks some mobility there and gets pain when he runs in shoes that allow it to flex. And so he's just kind of wondering what kind of exercises can I do to help that? So maybe we can talk about generally what causes mobility deficits in the big toe what kind of mobility do we need in the big toe and what are some things we can we can do to try to work on it on our own but let's talk about first why just briefly why you need mobility there so when you're when initial contact right for most people not everybody's going to be landing on your heel you roll forward it's when you're towing off during what's called terminal stance or the like later stage at like the push off phase of gait when you go over your forefoot, your big toe joint right here needs to be able to bend. So during walking, you need about at least 60 degrees of extension. So this going up, so this is zero, right? Extension is going up this way, flexion is going down. You need about 60 degrees of extension just, just for walking to roll over this. Running, it's suggested to have even sometimes up to like 90 to get to really pivot off that, especially at, at more up-tempo speeds. But it's part of where it, this is part of something that makes us efficient as like upright beings. We can roll over these toes. If you don't have that, um, it's going to be a little uncomfortable trying to pivot over there. And you can lose mobility here for a number of reasons. Previous injury, um, if you've got a, a bunion for say, if you've got something and that toe is 
translating this way, right? The joint may not be tracking the right way. There's lots of reasons you can lose mobility there. But well, the biggest thing, we and he mentioned this, he, this is how he's getting through, is if you're missing mobility here, a stiff and rockered shoe can replace the need for those toes, but it may not feel the most natural. So, you know, what do you, do you guys have anything to add on like what, you know, other than the mechanics, what, why might people lose mobility here? Yeah, I think, I think I've seen a number of people. I'm actually working with someone in the clinic right now who has the buildup of osteophytes on the top of their big toe. Mm -hmm. And so they have some arthritis in that toe. And then, you know, in reaction to some of the breakdown of the cartilage, they're getting buildup of bone which creates a bony block so that they just, they can't gain that mobility back. I think I've also seen a number of people who have um, excessive mobility in their first ray um, build up kind of some of those issues early as well, because that, that, you know, that first ray will, if, if it doesn't drop down, it kind of gets pushed up in the first place. First ray is kind of like the, the long bone of the, of the first toe not the actual like little toe joint. So, so if that, that can is, extend. Yeah. For those watching on YouTube, again, it's not, it's not the big toe. It's this whole length of this, this medial aspect of the first toe that refers to that. So again, if it's collapsing, as he's talking about, it'll kind of elevate like this. Yeah. And rather so if than that goes stay up, down so you can pivot off. Sorry. Right. So yeah. I think that combination people with, you know, and this is, these are all specific cases that I'm, that we're dealing with. Some people have that and don't have a problem at all, but I think I have seen the, the things that coincide where you have an excessive mobility of your first ray. And then over time you have a little bit degeneration in that first toe, which can lead to some of that limited motion. How often do you guys see, um, like tightness on the, on the Palmer side I, I don't typically see that unless somebody has like really sore flexor halysis longus or something. Um, but that's usually pretty temporary. And if his isn't improving, I know we're, we're not speaking specific, but usually I think that there's temporary tightness on the, like the bottom part of the foot that's preventing it from going up. But I don't think it's usually a muscle flexibility or tendon flexibility. Do you guys agree with that? Do you disagree? Yeah. Or, or maybe there's a, a localized inflammatory component <laughs> as well. Right. That can quite literally limit motion. If you have localized inflammation, that does put a little bit of excessive, a little bit more pressure on the region. It doesn't move as well. Yeah. So if you, one of the reasons you sprain your ankle, it gets all swollen on you and you can't move it. It's because there's quite literally some fluid to the region. Yeah. Not quite as extreme as that, but at a more micro trauma level that could also result in some tightness down there. Yeah. I've seen, so, it's, I totally agree. It's not usually muscle tightness. Um, although I have had one or two cases that I've worked with where it has been some intrinsic muscle stiffness where, you know, some of the, the shorter flexors will get a little stiff, but that's happened over a long period of time. And that's very clear because there's still like, when you pull on the toe, it's still a little elastic. So you can get through that. But most of the time, it's usually either inflammatory or joint, which is much stiffer and feels very different. And so I think this is where it's hard to give recommendations for what to do because you you don't do the same type of mobility exercises to gain motion in a joint in, in a specific joint for the same reason that it's being caused by. So if it's joint restriction, you're going to have different methods than if it's tendon or muscle restriction. So maybe what we can do in the next week or so is we'll put up some exercises um, for gaining this and we can talk about some ideas right now. But it's tough to, to give general 
recommendations for people who have limitations because what you should do is going to be so specific. But when I think about joint restriction, you know, if you have some, and we don't know what kind of care he sought so far, and maybe if it's been going on for a long time, seeing a PT who can evaluate it is is the best option. But doing joint mobilizations and what we call joint distraction and um, joint glides, those are easy to do by yourself on the on the big toe, where you basically will just grab at the base of the big toe and relax your big toe and just pull away. So the force is being pulling those, the toe away from your foot. And you can just bring that out as far as you, your foot allows you to do it and just kind of hold there for, for 30 seconds or so. And then you can even do oscillations um, where you're kind of pulling out and creating some stretch at the joint there. The other option is to pull out and kind of give an upward translation force um, and kind of stretching it into that extension, but at the level of the joint. And these are so, they're very specific. You have to do them right. Otherwise they're not going to be helpful. So it's hard to explain kind of over a video, but um, that's that's one thing from a joint perspective that I would think about. Matt, what are you thinking about? I, I'd encourage, again, unless you're seeing someone who can teach you hands-on how to do the, the, the glides sliding up or down, I would, for, mo for Michael, I would suggest just grabbing that toe and just doing a distraction and pulling, oscillating a little bit. Um, you can, it, this is assuming this is joint, and like Nathan said, it really depends, right? We can throw up some exercises, but starting that out and mobilizing that and then maybe gently stretching into extension can be helpful. We'll throw some other stuff up there, but getting the joint to calm down because it can commonly be joint is part one. And that can also be a nice way after a run, if it's pissed off to go, just don't yank on it, but like gently get some motion there very lightly can help calm the joint down too, which we call a low grade mobilization, which in English or whatever language means that you're kind of just like getting gentle. Some, just gentle, like getting some stuff moving. And it's like walking after a marathon, right? It's like just trying to get some stuff moving without pissing anything off further. Yeah, and even just from a physiological standpoint, if you can try and get some synovial fluid to the joint, same principle, just those basic oscillations get the joint moving a little bit in a pain-free range of motion and just play with it for a little while and have some continuity and consistency with it. And a lot of times they clear up. Um, I agree with both of you guys completely. That's That's where I would start. I don't know if I would go straight to the glides either especially when it's pretty flared up, that can be a pretty irritable for some people. But usually people, I mean, the joint distraction usually universally feels pretty nice. Yep. Um, I've had some people that didn't like it, but I mean, it's probably like a 90% like feels pretty nice to just give it a try. So it's a pretty safe one to play around with. And, yep. and Michael, we, the, yeah, go for it. I was going to say, I think something else that's counterintuitive. So glides, like we said, they're difficult and they can be a little irritating if you're too flared up. I think the other thing that can that can seem counterintuitive is if, oh, I'm lacking extension, so I'm just gonna stretch into extension. And depending on what's going on, if you're if it's a if it's a bony joint restriction, that's just pushing bones into each other and not actually stretching anything that you need and just irritating the joint. So I wouldn't go in and just try to stretch your toe up towards the ceiling as far as you can with your hand or on the ground. Um, start with the start with the distraction. Yeah, distract first, then go into this. And it might even better be better. You know, I said the stretch earlier. After that, it may be better just to like you know do some seated heel raises, right? Where you've got your foot on the ground, you've got the joint moving a little bit better, and then just slowly work on going up 
back and forth as much as you can talk. Don't hold it. Just kind of like testing that out. Motion's lotion, right? If you jam and it's, everything's progression. It's the same thing with your footwear, where you might be starting have to you just maintain mileage. You might have to start keep with plated shoe, carbon plated shoes right now. You might be able to progress to something that has a little a less aggressive plate, um, or a little bit less less stiff ride, right? That you know, I don't know if what you guys think, but maybe something like the Nusa Try or the Evil Ride. You know, not necessarily. Does that shoe have yeah. a plate? That doesn't have a plate, right? It's just stiff, right? The no, they don't. Yeah. They're just stiff. Yeah. yeah, the Glide Ride does, but the Evo Ride and Nusa. Yeah, doesn't. so that like Nusa or Evo Ride might be something you can progress it like into. It does, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, progressing. It does feel like it, but if you push it, it's yeah, like, yeah. Progressing into something like that, and then slowly, in addition to doing the exercise component, just gently progress footwear the same way you would progress exercise, where you might be able to get down to a Kinvara. But knowing that you have this going on means that if you do want to run in the Kinvara, the work that you put into getting that big toe motion back, you're going to have to keep doing as long as you want to run in that shoe. Because when it comes to more minimal shoes like that, there are some requirements for calf mobility, for calf strength, for big toe mobility, you know, that sometimes we, we can lose for certain reasons. And so those kind of shoes take, there's a few more requirements at the foot and ankle that you have to do in terms of like upkeep. So that would be my suggestion is use, you can use progress footwear as well. Just know exercise wise, it's going to be the most important for maintaining that. Yep. And, it's, and sometimes people get to the point of no return a little bit with that mobility. And if you get to that point, shoes are your friend. You can figure out the shoes that are going to work for this condition right. um, and other orthotic options. You know, you could, you can put, you can have somebody like put in some rigid pieces into a Kinvara that would help you avoid the toe extension, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, stiff first ray inserts have been used forever, you know? And so they can be used in other shoes forever is a strong word, but like they've been used so you can use them in other shoes might just not be super comfortable yeah. in that kind of a shoe when you're running, but cool. Anything else on this topic, you guys? Yeah. I mean, it's, Okay. Yeah, I again just emphasize that this is one of those the you know Kinvara is an awesome shoe. It's just kind of more minimal than what a lot of the stuff is on the market. And so as we as people spend less time and stuff like that, trying to transition back is going to take a little extra work, right, to get your body ready for that. So, you know, I think this goes for anybody that's interested in something like that. You got to make sure your big toes moving well, your ankle joint is moving well, and some of those smaller, both small and big muscles in that area are working well. Well, that's everything for today. Um, thank you guys for sticking with us in the round table today. As always, you can check out all the stuff that we're doing on our website at doctorsofrunning.com. You can go on to Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, see what we're doing. Join us on Strava. We post about what shoes we're testing on there and just get to keep up with it, what you guys are all doing um, kind of as part of the whole Doctors of Running community. It's been fun to see stuff like that grow. Um, and as always, if you are listening to this on podcast platform, something that really helps us get the name out is if you drop a review about what we're doing, we're constantly trying to make improvements. And so your feedback is super helpful. And if you'd rather send that feedback to us directly, again, doctorsofrunning at gmail.com. We have, uh, that is always an open line and we do our best to communicate with you there. But again, thank you all. And we'll talk to you at the next round table.